Hello, everybody. This is episode 57. I can't believe we've reached episode 57 of Re-Educating Dad, the cross-generational talk show, where we talk about interesting topics from different positions on the, um, if you like, age continuum. I'm an, I'm an old guy in God's waiting room, as I've said in the past. Um, normally, we have my daughter, Little Tone, on the team. Uh, we do not today, for reasons I'll explain in just a moment. So I am here today with my grandson, Ben, a regular contributor to this show, who is at the absolute opposite end of the spectrum, entering, well, having entered recently adulthood. And so he would have perhaps a very different uh, perspective, you would think, from mine. Actually, I think we have quite similar views from what I've been able to gather so far, but that might be just because he's supremely diplomatic. So perhaps I haven't yet quite got to the bottom. How are you today, Ben? Yeah, good, thanks. I'm enjoying the weather, um, but very very busy. Um, I thought with my exams ending, I'd have some time to rest, but with work and everything that's going on, not so. Yes. Well, it's good. I'm glad to see that you're a contributing member of the capitalist society that we live in. I can say that because Little Tone isn't here, <laughs> beating her left-wing drum. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So what, what work are you able to share? What work you do? Yeah, I don't see why not. I work in the, I work in the cinema Yeah. Um, as um, a front-of-house assistant, I believe, is my technical term, which basically means I just do whatever they, they want me to do in terms of um, looking after the customers that come in. So, 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 so they're exploiting uh, the young labour force. Anything, basically. Are they exploiting the young labour force, Ben? <laughs> probably can't say that. <laughs> um, no, I, what, I, what I will say is that I'm actually... Um, uh, the minority in terms of my age, um, I would say there's at least um, the the sort of mean difference between me is five years, five to ten years older than me. I would say so. Mm -hmm. that there's actually not not as many um, teenagers as you would think working in the cinema. You notice how that um, businesses don't call young people the manager or anything like that. I, I think this theory of the assistant. I'm not really quite sure what you're assisting, which means you're just doing stuff. Uh, but I think yeah. it, it enables you to be paid less, I think. I, I'm, I, I, I would like to do a study, maybe write a book about titles one day, because I think titles are a very good way of paying people less, <laughs> mm. if, you, if you know what I mean, Definitely. by promoting them and giving them. You can actually can promote people and give them you know, highfalutin titles, and they love that, but you know, um, yeah. it's, it's recognition uh, more than pay. Anyway, I'm getting into very controversial areas. Stop it. Stop dragging me into these controversial areas, Ben. You know you'll get me in trouble with little tone, don't you? Anyway, the, the, way, I, the way I've started thinking of this show, um, and I, started, I think I started mentioning last week, is a sort of family conversation around a dinner table. Uh, not necessarily just family. It could be friends and uh, you know, people that you have around to dinner, I guess, and you talk about... Um, sometimes controversial things and uh, sometimes they can get in dinner parties they can get quite heated but that's the way you know a lot a lot of opinions are shaped and perhaps sometimes changed or entrenched you know when, what do you think about that ben do you have do you have uh, conversations around your dinner table at home oh yeah and um 
and they can get um, much more heated than, um, than on the podcast, I think. <laughs> especially, especially when I come down for dinner after recording the podcast and they're like, oh, what did, you, what did you talk about? And then that starts the whole conversation that we just had on the podcast again. Yes, and then you get cross-examined on your opinions, don't mm. you? And then you have to defend them. And, uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, so yeah, that's what it's all about, really. Uh, but because we're experienced broadcasters, Ben, we we manage to um, do it in a very cordial way, don't we? Yes. <laughs> well, most of the time. Right. So the um, thing that I wanted to discuss today, first of all, is we're you know in the UK here, and I know we have a lot of listeners outside of the UK, but in the UK here, we are at uh, we are approaching the fourth and final stage of our easing of lockdown, Boris's so-called roadmap. Um, out of uh, COVID, I suppose, COVID lockdown. Uh, so Freedom Day, as it's been dubbed, will be, um, if it still goes ahead on that day, with re- all restrictions being lifted, it, is being, it has been dubbed Freedom Day. So from the 21st of June, we are supposed to have all restrictions lifted, but there has been some, shall we say, backpedaling on that position, hasn't there, Ben? Yeah, particularly with the um, new COVID strain that was found um, in India. Um, there's been some um, whispers that it might be um, delayed or diluted um, in some way. Um, but nothing, it's not very transparent at the moment as to what's what's happening, which I'm sure businesses are, are loving, the fact that they don't know whether what, what to do, guidelines whether they should order food or not yeah exactly so <laughs> so yeah i mean there is this do you get the i mean i sort of get the impression that the government hasn't really decided yet no, um, yeah i get the same feeling and they part of them is because they can keep hiding behind this maybe that's being being a bit unfair saying hiding behind but they can keep talking about we've got we're going to keep looking at the data we're going to keep looking at the data Mm. probably not going to change all that much now um but you know so i'm just wondering if they i think they're just sort of trying to hold back as long as they can before they jump one way or the other yeah I feel I feel the same way. I, I think they don't know as as the whole time um, that the government's been dealing with COVID. I, I've had the feeling that they don't really know until the decision's been made. Like they could swing either way until they've actually said it or um, to the public. We just don't know. Um, so I I don't know which if the if the data supports. Um, diluting it and bring it back then I'm all for it um, but I, I don't, simply don't know the data that they have um, and I'd rather I'd rather it all be done at the same time rather than going back and forth what we've had for the last year or so so I'm I'd rather wait if that's it, what the evidence supports yeah um but there seem to be two, even even in scientific circles, there seem to be two different positions here. And I think that there is an emergence of the, shall we call them the doves and the hawks? I mean, the doves are the people who want to keep us forever in lockdown um, until, you know, the, the virus actually comes out and signs a declaration of surrender. <laughs> 
Um, and there's the hawks who say, you know, come on, guys, there has to come a point where we come out of our, you know, hiding, hidey holes and get back into the world and start functioning as a species uh, and not cowering away. Uh, because there is real damage, isn't there, by this uh, continual lockdown mentality. By that I mean we we know very well that there are a lot of sick, uh, chronically sick patients, for instance, mm. um, who are who uh, who have been unable to get their regular treatment. Let's many are cancer patients. They've been unable to get their you know, their normal treatment, which is life-saving treatment uh, because we've become the land of, you know, the land of single-focus COVID. You know, I mean, it's all about COVID. Everywhere you go, there's signs everywhere, you know, COVID, yeah. COVID, COVID. Um, and uh, are, are, aren't we in, in danger of the balance tipping way too much in favor of ultra-caution? You know, I mean, there have been pandemics in the past uh, and the world hasn't closed down. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that the original closing down was not justified, but I, I'm getting the feeling that the, you know, the balance is... Because it's rather like if you, you, know, if you take legal advice on, on anything that you do in your life, any any lawyer giving legal advice is always going to give you the most conservative. You know, don't do that. No, don't do that because you know, you, you know something might happen. Mm. Don't write the book. Don't you know? Don't don't write the play. Don't you know, don't start this particular type of business. Whatever it is, don't take this particular risk because it that's the only way the lawyer can make an error is by advising you to do something. The lawyer is always going to be safest advising you not to do something. Isn't it a bit like that with this? Yeah, I can see that point of view, but I, I think we're so close with getting most of like all adults vaccinated now and, and so many more people are vaccinated. I, I think yesterday we had no, zero COVID deaths that, that we can, can afford to wait is what but I mean, can vital. we because but can we because i'm beginning to sound well, not a fool sorry i think we should wait I, I, okay um I, we saw we saw with australia and new zealand i know they're cliches at this point but they locked down everything they were so strict with their lockdowns and now people are going to concerts again people are and i i think that we should err on the side of precaution just until um the vaccine program is complete yes but ben there's a cost to that because patients are dying from other things. I, but I, yeah, and I, I can see that. But I think that as more and more people get vaccinated, then the pressure on the NHS will lift um, gradually. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be the case of um, you lift all the um, restrictions on Freedom Day and the NHS are. Uh, no longer in crisis just like that i think the, the i think while covid has exacerbated the crisis at the nhs it's more representative of um a, a long long history of um neglect and lack of funding well there i think you're onto something um i i, I do because i think that the next topic that we were going to talk about is public resources mm. um 
and we we will get on to that. But yeah, I, uh, but I'm talking strictly. It is true that the NHS was already in crisis, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was already in crisis. It was under resourced, um, and you know that that is another issue to be discussed separately because there's always the NHS is never going to have enough because there's the more the people wanting to be treated is growing all the time people are living longer much much longer um but at the same time you know we're all stuffing our faces when you're not you're very fit and so on but you know throwing alcohol down our necks and and uh, stuffing our faces with far too much food and therefore putting more pressure on the the you know not doing enough exercise therefore putting more um, pressure on the NHS, more and more people. We're, we're accepting more and more people from other countries, uh, many of whom are you know, very poor and can't afford medical tre- treatment. So we pay for that quite rightly. But all of that puts more and more pressure. Um, and so how are you ever going to keep up with that unless we you know, find gold or something, you know? Mm find some some other means of revenue uh, and become a very you know very much more wealthy country i don't really see how how we can keep ever keep pace with that but i'm just just sticking on the covid thing i can't help feeling that for instance gp practices are milking this milking this you know they are have you not heard this phenomenon ben about how a and E services are tearing their hair out because GP practices are just when people are phoning up, they don't want to see people. We've got the COVID excuse, the COVID excuse. We don't, no, no, don't come in. Well, I'm, you know, I'm really worried about how I'm feeling. Well, if you're if you're that worried, you know what to do. Go to A and E. So they go and they turn up at A and E, and the A and E is people are saying, well, why are all these people coming along? You're, you're go and see your GP. But the GPs have gone, you know, have. have Close, they're in hibernation in covid hibernation well i i think that that's always been the case i think that while covid is a is a an excuse that they use i think that gps have always because of their um because of how packed up they are i think they've always encouraged people to just go to a and e first so i think so i see your i see your concern as covid being used as a scapegoat i think that they're always going to find a scapegoat now it's covid it will be something else soon yeah but this is a mega one and you know and they can really embrace it because they can put signs on their doors they can put messages out saying we're sorry we can't see you for three years but we've got covid in the country and you know they can do it goes up on their website and there's this barrier the covid barrier everywhere you can't get service and sometimes i i've heard that this is because the doctors are fearful of catching covid off their parents for god's sake they're doctors if you're if, if you're if you're worried about getting ill don't go into that job yeah <laughs> you know um it's that i find it worrying and, and particularly you know that we're hearing more and more cases of where patients have been um told there's nothing to worry about and then next thing they're dead from from cancer well, not yeah. next thing, but, you know, months later, that it's because they, ha- they weren't seen. You know, the right diagnosis wasn't made. And, and now it's too late. You know, I, I'm hearing that over and over. So 
that's what I mean by there's a cost to being too cautious here. Well, that, that's only one cost, okay? People dying because they're not getting treatment for their non-COVID um, issues. Another thing, of course, is the, the, the immense damage that is being done to the economy, which also has a knock-on effect and kills people. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Uh, but I think that I think a large uh, a solution to that would is getting everyone vaccinated, because I think once people are vaccinated, we see um, a confidence to go out um, to spend money, which helps the economy. And also um, there as soon as people are less threatened by covid that excuse that the GPs have is going to, um, they're not going to accept it anymore. I mean, I see speaking from um, where I work, I know that um, lots of more old people are, are coming in. The old people are the, um, older people are like our biggest um, customer at the moment, just because of they're vaccinated. So they're confident to go out now and, and ingratiate into society and, and do things. That's because they're so. going to die soon. They've got to get <laughs> out there. <laughs> There's time pressure on us old people. We have to get out there and enjoy ourselves. Stop with all this locking us out of rest <laughs> and all that business. Uh, but you yeah. see what I mean? As soon as people are vaccinated, I think that the, the, the mental aspect of COVID is going to uh, decrease significantly. Well, it may or it may not. I mean, there's a lot, there's, there's quite a significant amount of vaccine resistance. Explain what you mean by that. Oh, oh is People it like... who won't take the vaccine because it has, or it hasn't been tested enough or it's just a big conspiracy so that uh, they will, you know, the government's trying to kill us. Is that a large, is that a large proportion or is that just a it's very, a very loud minority? It's significant. I mean, there's actually quite a few of medic. There are quite a few medical people who won't take it. People in care homes who are caring for old people will not be, get vaccinated. It's a significant number. So, I, what do we do about them? There's, there's, um, you know, there's cult, there's ethnic groups that uh, that are highly resistant to it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there's a solution to that. Just because I don't. I'm of the belief that you shouldn't force them to take the vaccine. I'm uh, of the I, same belief, but how do you square that with your argument that, that we've got to get everyone vaccinated if you're not going to force them? And I don't think we should force them. Well, I think no, no, when, I say, when I say everyone, I, I, I should... What percentage, Ben? What percentage? I, I can't, I'm not... A, um, I don't have a degree in medicine, but... Um, well, I heard someone who did have a degree in medicine the other day, a professor, somebody or other, one of the, you know, one of the big COVID fear mongers, scientists. And uh, she was saying it's 90%. 90%. I mean, we're never going to reach 90%. If, so we're not going to unlock until we reach 90%. Come on. I mean, that's been ridiculous. Also, you know, you talked about we had the first day without COVID deaths, right? Mm. COVID is now in nearly all areas of the country with a few exceptions it's way down the list of killers way down below heart disease and cancer yeah so I, you know what i mean it's it, it i i think the the problem is the balance the balance has shifted now you know it's become it's become a fairly insignificant um disease the variant you have 
you know, you have pointed to is talked about all the time. But all the everything that I've heard from the medical fraternity seems to suggest that the vaccine is capable of coping with it. Well, this goes back to what I said at the start, is that if I think that the data and the evidence suggests that we can can move out, which is what you, what you just said, that many um, med, um, people in the, the medical society believe that the vaccine can cope with it, then I think we should. But yeah. all I was saying is that if we we shouldn't proceed with lifting all restrictions in the face of the data and in the face of the evidence. So when we when we were fighting the Second World War, um, mm. I wasn't alive there, Ben. Alive then, ben, <laughs> just in case you thought I might have been. Um, when we were fighting World War Two, we were fighting for what, primarily? Um, well, you you were fi- fighting to um, free the uh, free Jew- the Jewish population of Germany and of. You know, greater eastern europe of their oppression and well that under nazi germany that certainly but also we were fighting for our own freedom yeah because hitler's next um uh, project was to having you know sort of uh, annexed france to his empire his next thing was to uh, invade our shores and do the same to us um and this is isn't this similar i mean w- we're talking about that's why it's called freedom day that's why it's a good name freedom day you know mm. we, we need our freedom back we, we ha- we've got to get out you've got to you know get on with your life and get you know get your education and not be hiding behind a screen all the time and you know do, not not getting out there and doing normal things you know we all yeah. want to do and we've you know that's at your end of the spectrum my end of the spectrum i'm thinking crikey you know it's not that long um how long have i got you know, when I can, we've got this quality of life, probably not, you know, 10 years most. If I'm lucky, and that's if I'm lucky. So, uh, you know, time is very, time is a very, very precious thing in which to enjoy freedom. Now, we're hearing that, you know who Andrew Lloyd Webber is, right? I've heard the name. Um... So, so Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote things like Jesus Christ Superstar, um, Craggy, no, that's no, gone from my mind. All the things that he's written, but he's, you know, he's written a whole bunch of, you know, really major hit shows. Phantom of the Opera. Oh right, yeah. Um, that sort of thing. He, you know, he's a a big um, music, a pro- big producer of uh, writer and producer of uh, musical theatre hits. You know, really major hits throughout the world. He's uh, talking now about suing the government if they don't open up. Um, on Freedom Day, uh, because the this you know, this part, the theatre, this part of our heritage, we're going to lose because it's just going to not be viable. Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, restaurant uh, companies, I believe, Pizza Express is one of the companies behind it. You know, they're saying you know if they're going to sue the government. Um, and there's nothing guaranteed. You can't, I don't think you can have a, a, a world which is where we're all guaranteed. You know, we, we know when we go out in a car, that's, that's a very, very risky thing to do. Probably one of the riskiest things we all do is to go out in a yeah. car, fly in a plane. It's risky. You know, crossing the road is risky. Getting on a bike is risky. 
there are risks. There are risks involved in life. Um, and I think that we've become, I, I think that if we don't open up on Freedom Day, I think our aversity to risk has become ridiculous, really. Mm. So that's my view. You're I, a bit more cautious. Well, I can, I can see what you're saying. I think, I guess that I'm just aware of my privilege as someone who is very low risk to COVID and is of the health that I am. Mm. I don't want to um, throw caution to the wind when it's not me that's being affected by um, COVID and lifting of the restrictions, if you see what I mean. I do, and that's a very nice way to round off that, that, that part of it. The second thing I'm going to just, we've already pretty much touched on, the, and we've dealt with to a certain extent, but the public, I think we're in a real public services resources crisis. Um, it, it's, and it's not all COVID related, as you yeah. quite rightly pointed out. I, I think that, you know, we, we're just all the time trying to reduce, reduce, reduce public services. And n not to be um, unfair, but a lot of people who work in public services uh, you know, a lot of them are really wonderful, particularly in the medical profession, where it's more of a vocation. But in other in other parts of public services, it's not quite, you know, as uh, vocational, shall we say. And there are a lot of lazy people there. You know, they don't have, they don't, because they're not working in a business environment where you have to produce results. If you don't produce results, you get fired. Simple as that. You know, you have you have to get things done. That does not apply in public services to anything like the same degree because you're not being, you know, there isn't, you're not looking at the figures of how are we doing, what's the profit and so on and so forth. You haven't got that discipline. And uh, you, that's what I think we encounter when we deal with county councils and things, like, things of that nature where they don't really have any particular incentive to deal with you like you're a customer. They, they've tried to introduce this, this language now that pretends that we're customers. I mean, even the HMRC that collect our taxes now refer to us as customers. I mean, that's ridiculous. We're not customers. But that's the way they like to play it out. So, you know, I don't know whether that makes them feel better or whether it's supposed to make us feel better. But they don't treat us like customers. Court services is another thing. You know, it's pretty much closed down. The court services... If you're dealing with things like minor, you know, minor civil disputes, you know, one party suing another, neighbours or whatever, that sort of thing, they've pretty much checked out. They pretty much tell you, go away and find a way of resolving this. We're not interested. That's, they don't say it in those words, but that's effectively what happens. But what's happening now? It, the, the standard of service generally has really, really deteriorated, and it really worries me because I don't, I don't think there's effective management. Government is really, really bad at running these things. Yeah. So I don't know how much exposure you've had to that. Not a great deal. Um, I would say that I would err on the side of caution when, when blaming those involved in the public services when, the, as you said just now, that... I think the real problem is a lack of funding, maybe not for council services and stuff like that, but for the, for the NHS, like a dentistry and, um, and um, the law system, just a lack of, a lack of funding um, from the government. Well, it is a lack problem. of funding. Um, and I don't blame the people. Um, it, it's the culture in which they work 
because you don't have that discipline of having to produce a certain outcome. You know, I, you know people, in, people working in a business can't say, well, I've, I've done as much as I can today. It's uh, 4.30, it's pretty close to 5 o'clock when I go home. God, I've got to go and, uh, you know, put my coat on and tidy my pencils away. That'll take me half an hour. You can't do that in a business, <laughs> you know, because you know your job is dependent on that business surviving. Yeah. That's not the case. Uh, councils aren't going to close down, you know, if, if they don't, you know, produce a certain output. God, I can. Uh, they're going to be some. They're going to be some government you know, workers that are going to really hate me for these things. <laughs> but it's it's what I've truly, you know, I'm at that stage in my life when I've, where I've experienced a lot, and I've seen this phenomenon throughout my life. But now I'm seeing something quite different. I'm. I, I, it's it's really acute now, and I've never never seen it quite as bad as I'm seeing it now. Um, and particularly with the, you know, with the good old COVID excuse. And it's not only public services that use the COVID ex excuse, by the way. It's also private businesses use it as well. The yeah. bad ones, you know, the ones that don't want to deliver your furniture into the right room because they can say, no, now we're just going to dump it in your drive because, uh, you know, there's this COVID thing. We can't, we can't risk your health and we can't risk our own. A lot of businesses don't do that, but there are a lot of businesses who are still even doing that. They just dump stuff in your, in, you know, outside your house. And not only do they dump it there, they leave all the wrapping. They used to take it away. You know, they, put, they, deliver, you, they deliver it on a pallet. You know what a pallet is? You know, a big yeah, yeah, raft. Yeah. Of, they deliver it on a pallet and they expect you to get rid of it because they don't have to do that anymore because you know why? COVID. <laughs> it's the COVID excuse. It's hard for me to, to relate to that because, as you, you said, I don't have much experience with the council and with ordering furniture. <laughs> so, um, but I can see what you're saying. Well, I think, I think, I don't know whether it's still your plan, but you were thinking of becoming a lawyer at one stage. Yes, it's still the plan. Uh, I don't know what kind of lawyer you were thinking of becoming, but if you were thinking of becoming a litigating lawyer, that, would, that is a, a lawyer that goes to court. Was that your idea or not? So I don't much. have a I don't have a plan that okay. specific. I know law, but you can branch well, off into lots of different things. So. If you were to, to if you were to be the kind of lawyer, because most people think of being a lawyer and going and arguing, you know, cases and in court, that's where you would see it, because the lawyers, of course, are all effectively private business people, aren't they? Yeah. But they are reliant a hundred percent on the court system, which is like the referee in all cases. And they have, you know, they have descended into chaos. They lose things. They can't get anything right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's really, really poor. Anyway, we've, uh, let's see, we did have something else to discuss, but I think, I know that you're uh, very pressed because I think you have to get to your uh, job. Yeah. Um, and we're, yeah, we are over, over the, third, over the uh, half an hour. So, uh, we will leave it there. It's been lovely, as always, Ben, talking to you. Thank you uh, very much. And to you, dear listeners, uh, a lot of ranting from me this episode. Sorry about that. That's because there wasn't little tone here to uh, get on my case and batter mm. me 
Or, getting all your opinions now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yes, exactly. I was taking advantage of her, of the, of her not being here. So dear listeners, uh, we're wrapping up now, but what we're interested in finding out is what are you discussing around your dinner table? You know, what are the things you've heard, Ben, he gets into some quite uh, controversial discussions after he finishes the podcast, goes down to dinner and they want to know what he's been talking about and what his opinions are and what he's been saying. And then he's forced to defend them. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, especially as he wants to be a lawyer. But, um, uh, what, yeah, what are you guys discussing around your table? Does it end up well? Do you get into fights? Do you not speak to each other for a fortnight or whatever? Uh, we'd love to hear what you're talking about. We'd love to hear what you think about what we've been talking about. And uh, we will uh, look forward to uh, having more topics for you uh, next week. So until then, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thanks, everybody. Bye from now. <laughs> <laughs>